I ended the introduction uh, to the book, uh, Things of This Earth, last week by saying that what needs to happen to all human beings, Christian or not, uh, in order for us to rightly enjoy God's gifts without making God's out of His gifts, okay, let me say that again. In order for us to rightly enjoy God's gifts without making God's out of His gifts, what, what, what has to happen to us is that uh, our desires need to change. That's what I said last week. What you want need to change. The things that we want the most must change. To what? To the things we should want. That's what I said last week, right? What we should want has to be what we want. <laughs> Hopefully you got that from last week's message. That has to change. And when that happens, Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. If that happens, if our delight is in God, God promises to give us the desires of our heart. Right? So far, if you examine yourself, the desires of our heart is not that, primarily or ultimately. Right? We all still want a lot of other things. Um, just like what I said last week, you, you find out what these things are when you think, when you, um, think about what you're thinking when you don't have anything to think about. Say that again. If you have nothing to think about, think about what is it that you think about when you have nothing to think about. Right? That, that's, that's when these things come. That's when, these things, that's when you figure out, oh man, my desire is for finances. My desire is for whatever. My desire is for my job. My desire is to find out. A wife, my desires for, right? That's when we, that's when we figure those things out. That's when we, that's when we know those things about ourselves. Uh, that's why it's, it's important to always spend a little bit of time, um, you know, just meditating and just thinking. Um, it's good because you, you get to know yourself more. Um, and when you do, you'll find out all these other things that shouldn't be there. Um, so I said last week that um, that has to change. So that what we want is what we ought to want. What we desire is what we ought to desire. And when that happens, God will give us what we desire. Um, and the verse in th Psalm 37, 4 tells us that these desires, again, uh, come from our hearts. And again, our hearts are the control center of our whole being. What the heart desires, the, find, the mind finds reasonable, emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. So whatever it is that your heart desires, you'll find a way to do it. And your mind will think it's reasonable. Your emotions will find it desirable. Um, and so if we are to rightly enjoy the things of this earth, we need a change of heart. Or I, as I put it last week, we need to have a circumcised heart. Uh, and that leads us back here in Exodus uh, regarding this topic of circumcision. So when we were last here, we were at the end of the chapter in Exodus in chapter 12 where we find uh, extra or additional set of instructions for the Passover meal, right? If you guys still remember that. If you can still remember, I said that these instructions were meant to be included in the first set of instructions found in the beginning of chapter 12. 
So if these instructions are part of the original Passover meal instructions, then what are the significance of these instructions as far as the Passover meal is concerned? That's the question that we started with when we took this up two weeks ago. Uh, and to answer this question, we looked at these instructions in two lenses, right? What were the lenses that we looked, them, uh, that we looked at these instructions through? The lens of prerequisites and pointers. Nobody remembers. <laughs> we looked at them through the lens of prerequisites and pointers. And I said that these instructions can be seen as prerequisites for the Passover meal and also as pointers to the greater spiritual truths that the Passover meal represents. Uh, remind you of the first prerequisite that we saw in our text in Exodus 12. The first prerequisite was that all Israelites needed or had to take part of the first Passover meal, right? There's a reason for that because if they don't, they'll, their firstborn will die. They'll be part of the, the plague, right? So that's the first prerequisite. The second prerequisite was that a person had to be part of the covenant nation in order to take the Passover meal, right? You had to be an Israelite in order to take the Passover meal. Third prerequisite was that if you are not an Israelite, what needs to happen? Your males need to be circumcised in order to be considered part of the covenant nation of Israel and therefore be allowed to take the Passover meal. Now we ended with the circumcision aspect of this Passover meal instructions the last time we were here. So that's where we're going to pick up this morning. So our topic this morning is... Circumcision. In Tagalog, tuli. <laughs> tuli. Circumcision. Very important topic. I didn't think much of it until I started studying. It's, it's huge, this topic of circumcision. Um, so what is circumcision? What does it represent and why? That's our topic. So let's begin with the act of circumcision. Uh, Genesis 17, 9 to 11. God laid out for Abraham and us uh, what this sign of circumcision is pointing to. This is where we first saw it, right? Genesis 17, 9 to 11. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and, your, and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So even before the instructions in Exodus, if you read the rest of Genesis 17 regarding circumcision, it also says there that even the, the, the bought slaves, foreigners, they are to join you. They must be, their males must be circumcised. So in the Tanakh, okay, you know what the Tanakh is? Tanakh, the Hebrew version of the Old Testament, okay? In the Tanakh, this is a traditional translation of the Hebrew text that the Jews used for the Old Testament. Verses 9 to, 17, uh, 9 to 11 in uh, chapter 17 of Genesis reads like this. God further said to Abraham, as for you and your offspring to come throughout the ages, uh, sorry, as for you, you and your offspring to come throughout the ages shall keep my covenant. Verse 10. Such shall be the covenant between me 
and you and your offspring to follow which you shall keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and that shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So if you read that, you follow the train of thought, it basically says that the covenant of circumcision is a covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. A contract, an agreement between God and Abraham and all of his descendants. Now, every contract comes with stipulations, the details. What is the stipulation of the covenant of circumcision that's being referred to here? There's two parts. God's part and the part of Abraham and his descendants. Okay? This is the contract. What's God's part? God's part is to be faithful to his covenant. What is God's covenant? We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Because the covenant that they're talking about here, that God, I'll be faithful to my covenant. It's not the covenant of circumcision. It's the covenant that came before it in chapter 15. If you guys know your Bibles. Okay? So God's part in the covenant of circumcision between him and Abraham is to be faithful to his covenant, his original covenant. And Abraham's part in that covenant of circumcision is to keep God's covenant. You guys, you guys get it? This is the contract. If I'm God, you're Abraham in descendants. The sacred union is Abraham, your descendants. My covenant is to be faithful. Your covenant is to keep my covenant. So what does that mean? You have to be faithful too. <laughs> Pretty much, right? So there's this two parts to it, right? So, so the part of God to be faithful, the part of Abraham is to keep or to be carriers or stewards of God's covenant. And for them to also remember God's covenant with them. That's why God gave them the sign. The sign of circumcision I don't need to go into details about what circumcision is you all know what it is um, so I didn't, we don't need to go into details right? but although the Bible does and there are some interesting significances why does the circumcision have to happen in the male sex organ you ever ask yourself that question why does it have to be there why can't I just cut off my finger like a Yakuza Yakuza's right when they make a covenant to be, to be sure that I'm going to be, I'm going to take this covenant seriously, cut off my finger. Why does, why does God require circumcision? We're going to take, a, we're going to take that up next, you know, next, in, next year. Uh, <laughs> but for now, just think about it, right? Because that's what circumcision is. It's the cutting of the foreskin of the male sex organ. Why? First, it's because it's a bloody act. It signifies a separation from the source of life. And we could say it's also a pointer to death. Okay. So why did God use this act as a sign for Abraham and his descendants to remember to keep God's covenant with them? I think the answer to that question lies in God's original covenant. I'm going to label God's original covenant as a unilateral covenant. God's original covenant 
found in Genesis, I would say 12 and 15, is God's unilateral covenant. The sign of circumcision, of the covenant of circumcision, is a bilateral covenant. I'll explain later. So I need you guys to follow. Okay? So why circumcision? You go back to Genesis 12 and 15. God's covenant to the people, people of Israel goes all the way back, obviously, to Abraham. Right? And I would argue all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3. Okay? If you read your Bible, especially the Old Testament, there are six major covenants that we can see in the Bible. Now, some Reformed theologians think, say that there's more, but uh, we're just going to stick with the six. Okay? Because this, this, this theme of covenant is very prevalent in the Old Testament, even in the New. In fact, when you say Old Testament, it should be Old Covenant. New Testament, New Covenant. Because this theme of covenant is very important. And there are six major ones in the Bible. If you can name it right now, I'll give you a prize. No. <laughs> First covenant, major covenant, is found in Genesis 3.15. Uh, God's promise to, that the seed of the woman will defeat the seed of the serpent. That's the first major covenant. I would say the original covenant of salvation that God made with sinful mankind. Second uh, God of God's covenant is a covenant with Noah. Right? After the flood, God fulfilled, uh, sorry, God made a covenant with Noah to hang up his bow, to stop his warring with mankind. Uh, and he gave the rainbow as the physical sign for this covenant. Right? Um, so when God hung up his rainbow or his weapon of war, it, this meant that God's war with mankind was over. And from then on, God will continue his redemptive plan to accomplish the original covenant found in Genesis 3. So for God to accomplish Genesis 3.15, for the seed to, uh, in time, beat the seed of the serpent, okay, he has to not kill everybody <laughs> like he did in the flood. That's why he spared Noah and told Noah, okay, I won't do this again. Because through you, you're going to be the seed carrier. You're going to carry this until the time is right for the actual seed to come. Okay? So that's the second major covenant. Third was with Abraham. Physical sign of the third covenant with Abraham was what? Circumcision. What is the covenant that God made? With Abraham, the unilateral covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, let's read it. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, his name wasn't Abraham yet. Okay, it became Ham because he became the father of all nations. He's still Abram here. So Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you. I, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. Right? In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, what is God's covenant with Abraham? What did God promise to Abraham? To make him the father of 
many nations to bless him. So in order for God to fulfill his original covenant, again, going back to Genesis 3, first he hung up his bow, stopped warming with mankind, and then he made a covenant or a promise to Abraham to what? Raise up or create a whole new people for himself. And this new breed of human beings will come or will be uh, after Abraham, will be made after Abraham. And if you know who Abraham is, he's the father of faith, right? So this whole new breed of people will be like Abraham as far as his faith is concerned. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you guys understand that, right? Um, so after that, um, after that covenant with Abraham, what was the next covenant? Moses. God made a covenant with Moses to what? Redeem his, quote-unquote, chosen people, right? That's the fourth covenant. After that, um, after they got out of uh, Egypt, they went through the wilderness. After the wilderness, they went through Canaan with Joshua leading them. They were supposed to kick everybody out of Canaan to take hold of the land. They didn't. So what happened? They got influenced again by the pagans who were still living in Canaan. So what did God do? At that point, he sent what? Judges first. Right? Judges didn't work because all these judges were imperfect. So they needed a king. So they asked for a king. The Israelites, which king did they choose first? The tall, dark, and handsome one. Right? God said, no, this king is not good for you. No, we want. So. But what happened? So it became corrupt as well. And so God chose David. But David was also corrupt. So what was the covenant after? The Davidic covenant is to bring the, the Jews or the Israelites a king that will rule forever. This is the perfect king. Right? That was the next covenant. After Moses' covenant is the Davidic or the covenant with David to bring the people a king. A king would come in the line of David. That king will be greater than David. That's the fifth. What's the sixth? Sixth covenant is the new covenant. Found in the fulfillment of all these other five covenants in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Right? So for all these covenants, except for the very first one in Genesis 3.15, God designed a physical sign. There's always a physical sign to the covenant, right? Rainbow first, circumcision. In, the, in Egypt, it was the plagues. And then Christ himself, who is the king. Physically, he came. The word became flesh. So all these physical signs always represent or always pointing to something bigger. What is that? What is that something bigger that these physical signs refer to? So for our purposes this morning, we're only going to look at the one physical sign, which is the physical sign of circumcision. And the covenant that it represents and ultimately what it means. Now, back in those days, covenant making had a repeated structure or format along with similar elements to it. So when you make a covenant, there's always a structure to it. And then there's players, people who are involved in the covenant. 
right? According to R.C. Sproul, the format and the elements were patterned after Caesarean treaties or Caesarean covenants, Mideastern covenants, uh, which were made between kings and their vassals or their subjects. So back in those days, that's how covenants were made. The king would start it, too, and he would, he would make a covenant with his subjects. Um, I'm going to share it with you the most simplest way possible. Okay, I hope you guys get it. Um, so let's begin with the elements or the players of the covenant, and then we'll go to the format of the covenant making back in those days. Right? So let's call these elements uh, three S's. Okay? Elements or players of the covenant. Three S's. There has to be a sovereign, ruler, king. There has to be a witness or a spectator. And there has to be stipulations. So if we're going to have an agreement between us, there has to be the one starting the agreement, the sovereign, back in those days. There's got to be a witness. And there's got to be stipulations. What are the details of the covenant? We see the same structure in Old Testament covenants. So we're going to uh, look at the format like this. The first thing that has to happen is the, when, when a sovereign, when a ruler, a king will make a covenant, he will introduce himself first. And then he will tell his subject what he has done for them. That's the first thing that happens. I am king so and so and so. I am the one who protects your borders. I am the one who does this. I am the one who provides you with this. That's what happens. So if you look at Genesis 15, where God made this unilateral covenant that's what God did check out Genesis 15 verse 1 after these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision fear not Abraham or Abram I am your shield your reward shall be very great God introducing himself I, this is me I'm the one who called you out of uh, Chaldee the Chaldeans out of Ur I am this Lord. I'm this God. I am the one who is shielding you. I'm protecting you. Right? Verse 5. And then he brought him outside and said, look at the heavens and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then again, he introduced himself uh, in, in verse 7. I'm the Lord brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So in verses 5 and 7 are the contents of the covenant. What did God promise Abraham uh, when, when, he, when he called him? I'm going to make you a father of many. Right? As many as the stars, count them. And I will give you a land to possess. So after God introduces himself and said, this is me, I'm the God, I'm the one who called you, I'm your shield, I'm your protector, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Look at how Abraham responds, verses 2 and 3. You guys read this part. How does Abraham respond? 15 verse 2. After God said, I'll give you children as many as the stars, Abraham comes back and says, I don't even have 
You haven't even given me one yet. <laughs> and you're telling me you're going to give me as many as the stars? Come on. Right? And then when God says, I will give you possession, look what Abraham responds. Verse 8. How am I? How is this going to happen? <laughs> My wife, they're, they're in their 90s by now. <laughs> How is this going to happen? Is Abraham questioning God's faithfulness? That God can't, you can't possibly come through. I'm, I'm not, we're, we're 90, I'm almost dead. Right? How can you possibly give me all these things that you're promising? I don't think Abraham's questioning the faithfulness of God in his replies here, but instead I think he's crying out to God for help with his unbelief by showing him, show, this is what Abraham's asking, help my unbelief, help me believe, show me how faithful you're going to be. That, that's what Abraham does. He's not questioning God's faithfulness. He's questioning his own. I can't do this, God. I can't. Believe. I can't force myself to believe, especially the kid, the kid promise, if you haven't even given me one. Right? So he's asking God, help my unbelief. And we've all been here, right? Who, who hasn't been here? Like you've been asking God, God, you know, you promised in your word that you would do this, that you would do that. Meanwhile, I'm going through these hard times in life, and it looks like nothing's going to happen. For the strong Christian, the mature Christian, they would cry out like Abraham. Help my unbelief. Instead of God, you can't do it. You know, I'll forget you. You cry out like Abraham. It's okay to lament to God. It's okay to lament. It's okay to talk to God and let God know how you're feeling about this. Because it's, we're human. Right? We get discouraged. It's okay to lament to God. Um, even though he already knows what you're going through. You know, pray and, and let him know about it. Uh, some pastors call it, uh, I think it was, I forgot the pastor that, that said it. Hold God accountable to his promises. That's what Moses did. Right? When God said, you know what, forget you guys, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to protect you anymore. Because you guys, you Keep worshiping idols. What did, what did Moses say to God? But you promised. You, everybody knows that you're our God. If you don't protect us, and you promise to protect us, what's that going to look like? Right? Hold God accountable to his promises. It, it's okay to do that. It's okay to lament to him. It's okay to hold him responsible because ultimately God is. <laughs> He's faithful, right? So now, after Abraham says, you know what, I, you, I, I, can't, I can't believe this. You, I don't even have a child, and you're telling me I'm going to possess this land. I'm in the middle of nowhere. How is this going to happen? Give me something to hold on to. Look how God responds to Abraham. Verse 9. God said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, female goat, three years old, ram, three years old, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Ten. And he brought him all these, cut them up in half, laid them each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. 
know, the birds of prey came down on the carcasses. Adam, uh, Abraham drove them away. So follow the story. Abraham saying, God, help me believe in your promises. God said, okay, give me a cow, goat, pigeon. Instead of giving Abraham something to hold on to, God gave Abraham a grocery list of livestock. <laughs> when I'm reading this, uh, those of you who are sleeping, I feel bad for you. Uh, when I'm reading this, and you're thinking, if you ask somebody for assurance, you want something, you know, objective, like something you can hold on to. God's like, no, no, no. Give me livestock. Imagine how would Abraham feel if, if you were there? How would you feel? This has nothing to do with kids, and this has nothing to do with land. Why are you telling me to do this? But Abraham did it anyway, right? What was God trying to tell Abraham here? Look what happens next. 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring. Again, he's repeating his promises. Know for certain that your offspring. There it is. But if you read this, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. What, when is that? You guys? Yes? Yeah? Sounds familiar? 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Sound familiar again? As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, there's a whole sermon in that. Obviously, we're not going to go through there. So first of all, what did God do? First of all, put Abraham to sleep. So the Abraham is seeing this in a, in a vision. And then God gave him a prophetic word, right? Essentially telling Abraham what he is going to do, what God's going to do. What's God going to do first? First, Abraham will have offspring, right? With his own wife, just like what he promised. But they will be, so God's like years ahead of Abraham, right? He's already years ahead. He's already talking about Jacob and his kids being in Egypt, right? Then God said Abraham's offsprings will be servants. They will be slaves in a foreign land. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. And then I will bring judgment and I will save this nation. So even before God gave Abraham all these kids, he's telling him how this is going to happen. How is uh, someone who's 90-some years old, barren, no kids, will have kids as many as the stars? God said, well, you know what? You will have one, and they will be, there's going to be a lot of them, but they will be slaves first, but I will rescue them. I'll bring them back here. Imagine God prophesied and repeated his promises to make Abraham father of a great nation. And that great nation will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And they will inherit the land of promise. So now go back to Abraham. His request was to give 
was for God to give him some help so that he could believe, some kind of assurance so that he could believe. What did God give him? More promises. Nothing to hold on to. So as far as the covenant structure that we are looking at in this text is concerned, God's reminder to Abraham about the promises is part of the stipulations again of the covenant. Now the stipulations usually have two parts. Blesses or blessings and curses. So what God did at that part in Genesis 17 when he told Abraham, no, you're going to have kids and these kids will be enslaved, but I will rescue them. I'll bring them back here. Those are the blessings of the covenant. This is what God is promising to do for Abraham. But stipulations have two parts, blessings and curses. What's the curse? The curse is usually uh, something that Whoever is making the covenant, usually the sovereign, um, he's saying that if I don't do this, like if I don't fulfill my promise, may this happen to me. That's the curse. So the stipulation is the blessing and the curse. To assure the blessings will come, there's curses. You get what I'm saying? You do that with your kids, right? If you don't clean your room, right? If you clean your room, ah, reward. If you don't, curse. <laughs> That's the best way to do contracts, right? That's the, you know, blessings and curses. So what's the curse here in this God's unilateral covenant? Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, what? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of dead animals. So the flaming torch and the fire pot symbolizes God. He passed through in the middle of the dead animals, floated. Abraham seeing this in a vision. So now, that's God's way, because when back in those days, when you make a covenant, you don't say make a covenant. You say cut a covenant. You cut a covenant. Why cut? God just showed it. Because God cut, cut through, cut through. First of all, the, he, there was cut animals. And then he cut through in the middle of the cut animals. That's God ratifying the covenant. That's God witnessing for himself. Okay, remember covenant? Uh, uh, elements. Sovereign, spectator, stipulation. We already saw the sovereign and the stipulation. Who's the witness? God himself. So when you, when you think about making promises, okay, you always swear by something higher. Right? Uh, in, in, in Tagalog, right? ko Mamatay man ako. <laughs> you always swear to something higher, right? When you go on, when you go in court and you have to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What do you swear on? The word of God, because that's that's high, right? Uh, when kids uh, they they make a promise, I promise on my mother's grave, right? Kids do that, right? I promise on my mother's grave. It's like saying, you know, if I don't do the promise, may my mother die. 
<laughs> Not me die, right? The mother died. But that's what's happening. When you swear on something, if you're a witness to a covenant, you're a witness to a promise, you swear on something higher. There's a problem with God. There's nobody else to swear by. There's nobody higher. So God had to swear on his life. Can you imagine that? God is saying, if I don't, do what I promised to do for you. Give you kids. Give you possessions. Make your blessing to all nations. If I don't do that, may this, whatever happened to those animals, happen to me. That's how serious God was as far as his covenant with Abraham was concerned. Right? May I die. God didn't say to Abraham, trust me, cross my heart, Hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. He didn't say that. May this happen to me. Why? Because God can't swear on anything higher or greater than he is. He made the covenant with Abraham on his own. He witnessed it. He's the sovereign. He gave the stipulations. That's why it's called unilateral. One way. You get it? God's covenant with Abraham originally is one way. That's the covenant that God is telling Abraham to keep in the covenant of circumcision. Keep this. Keep what? How, how do I keep it? What was Abraham's request again to God? God, give me assurance. Help me believe. God didn't give him some kind of trinket. God didn't give him anything. God just... I'm, I'm your assurance. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? God said, I'm your assurance. I'm going to walk through this. If I, if I don't do this, may I die. I'm going to walk through this. If I don't do it, may this happen to me. I'm your assurance. Just trust in me and you keep my covenant. Right? Because that's what Abraham's requesting. You want assurance? Here's the greatest assurance I can give you. Myself, right? That's what God's saying. The covenants that God made throughout all of redemptive history is, a, is all reliant on him making good on all his promises. If you think about it, we, we have no control. <laughs> it's all up to God and those who are part of the covenant people. It's all up to God, including the faith we need to to believe. That's what Abraham, again, was asking for, right? Give me faith. Give me, give me assurance so I can believe. Right? Remember, God's covenant ratifying was in response, again, to the request of Abraham for more assurance to help with his unbelief. Don't lose sight of that. Don't think, oh, circumcision means I have to do something. This is a bilateral covenant. It's not. <laughs> it's unilateral. God just wants you to keep it so that you can be part of it. So it's for your own good. You get, you get what I'm saying? God gave himself as the assurance. He ratified the covenant himself. Don't lose sight of that. 
The greatest thing about the, uh, the way God cuts covenants with man is that everything is dependent on him for completion. That's what gives me the strength to stand up here, up here every week. Because if it was up to me, you'd all be gone. Right? There wouldn't be people attending. Nobody would be listening. Who am I? But I trust God. Uh, Prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, when God called them, what did God tell them? Tell this to the people. They won't listen to you, by the way. But keep telling it. They'll even, they'll even probably kill you, but keep telling it. But they keep going, right? Why? Because they know God, how serious God is with his covenants. This is how serious he is with his covenants. He cuts it. Cuts his covenants on his own. He swore in on his own name. He swore on his own word that he will be faithful to the faithless. And in his faithfulness, he will be even the giver of faith to those whom he promised to save. That's how God cuts covenants. Now the sign of circumcision, again, represents that covenant. It's a reminder of God's promised salvation for a new breed of human beings whose faith is like Abraham and how the covenant is dependent on God alone for fulfillment. That's the covenant that Abraham was, uh, has committed or covenanted with God to carry or to be a steward of. The covenant of, you can call it covenant of faith. Because that's how they're keeping hold of the covenant, by continuing to believe in God. That's what Abraham carries. That's what all the people that came after him will carry. That faith. That's why Paul says in Romans 9, Romans 10, not because you're an Israelite, you know, you're a true Israelite. The true Israelites are the ones with the faith of, of Abraham. Right? The sign of circumcision points to that. Points to God's part of the covenant when it comes to the bilateral covenant of circumcision. Now, there's another part to that. It's bilateral. That means Abraham has his own part in it, right? What was Abraham's part again in the, in the uh, Abraham and his descendants? Their part in the covenant of circumcision is what? To carry, to keep the covenant of God, original one, Genesis 12, 15, by faith. To carry that faith over and over and over again. Teach it to your children. Show them how God saved, right? Teach it to your children. That's their part of it, of the covenant. Now, the circumcision part, that's the, the dead animals. So, Abraham is saying to God, if I don't come through with my part, may this happen to me. May I be cut off. Now, question is, did they keep their part of the covenant? God kept his, even though how stubborn these people are, we are, God kept his. Do we keep our part? No, why are we still here? If we don't keep our part, we should have been cut off, right? Why are we still here? Colossians 2 talks about you are 
circumcised in the circumcision of Christ. Think about that until February. <laughs> it's so important because we, we can't keep our part. So what has to happen? We're supposed to just, die. all of us are supposed to be dead. We're supposed to be cut off from the source of life. But since those who have the faith of Abraham are circumcised together with Christ, keep apart. Huh? You, you all know where I'm going with this next time, right? So, yeah, keep thinking about that. You have a few weeks. <laughs> you have the rest of the year to think about it. Right? And when you think about it, think about this. That's why it's good news. Why do, you, why, why do you call it gospel if it's not that good? Why else? Think about that. We'll come discuss that again next week. What is the significance of the Abraham's part and when it comes to the covenant of circumcision? What is the significance of that and how does that apply to believers today? Take that up mid-January. Come back for that. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be great. And be gracious unto you. And be gracious. The Lord be gracious, gracious. Lord.